0: I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Kerry Jenkins. Kerry is CEO of Substantial, a world-class product development studio, serving a diverse set of clients from Fortune 50s like Google and Amazon, to emerging startups and social impact organizations. A people-focused CEO, Carrie stresses the importance of relationships, whether that involves employees, clients, or community partners. She passionately believes that healthy relationships are the foundation of any successful team, project, or company. Carrie originally calls from Louisiana, spent her formative years in New York and New Orleans before finding a home in Seattle. When she's not leading the substantial team, she can be found spending quality time with her husband and five-year-old daughter. Carrie Jenkins, welcome into the corner office.
1: Thanks. Glad to be here.
0: Great to have you here. And how's the weather out in Seattle today?
1: Oh, it's very Seattle today.
0: It's, it's gray
1: and a little chilly, <laughs> oh. but we've had a f- we've had few days in a row of sunshine, so I guess we deserve this. <laughs> nice.
0: And I guess a lot of snow up in the mountains too, right? Have the Cascades gotten quite a bit of snow this year? I know the Rockies have. They
1: did, yeah, yeah. in uh, January and February, quite a bit.
0: Wonderful. Well, you know, we like to start in the early years. And I know from going through your bio in our previous discussion, you grew up in a different part of the country where you didn't see much snow. And uh, Louisiana, I think you originally call home. Tell us a little bit about those early years. You know, what was it like growing up and what was your early family life like?
1: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a southern girl. So I was actually born in Nash- Nashville, Tennessee. Um, Nashville. Okay. Yeah, my mother and father are originally from Birmingham. So I was in Nashville for a few years till so about kindergarten um and then we moved around a bit. We moved to Texas right. for a couple of years and then we settled in Louisiana. So I got okay. to Louisiana probably in 3rd grade or so. Yeah. And so I definitely consider that sort of my hometown and where yeah. I was nice. raised. I was there through high school, and right. uh, it's a very different place. Um, it's very culturally rich. It's wor- warm, both in right. temperature and in people. So there's a lot to love about Louisiana. Were you in New Orleans,
0: or on the coast, or what were, were about? In
1: I was about two hours west of New Orleans in a town okay. called okay. Lafayette, which All is right, sure. you know Heard about a hundred thousand people. It's not the tiniest yeah. of towns. Very uh, sort of oil and gas uh, economy based right. town. A lot of people sort of traveling between Lafayette and Houston, for instance, and right. um, much more going towards Houston than going towards New Orleans um, when you live in Lafayette. Yeah. So I saw family there. My mother and sister still lived there. And, you know, my f- friends from childhood yeah. still there. So I enjoy visiting. What did, what did
0: mom and dad do? Was dad in the oil industry? Was that kind of what brought you uh, to the part of the country?
1: He wasn't originally in the oil industry. Uh, my father was yeah. always a salesman, and so there was pharmaceutical okay. sales, and um, right. he, he did car sales for a while, and then he did sort of get into um, sales for uh, helicopter parts, and oh, cool. they use helicopters quite a bit in oil and gas, and so that sure led yeah, him, a lot of
0: big distances,
1: yeah, to a company in in Louisiana, and that is that was kind of why nice. we moved from Texas to Louisiana, and then you know we ended up. We ended up staying.
0: <laughs> yeah, mom. Was she stay at home or did she have a career?
1: My mom was a legal secretary for many years, okay. and then uh, and then ended up staying home, sort of in her in her later years to right. to raise kids. But yeah, nice. but you know, brothers my brothers and sisters. Yeah, I have yeah, two, ahead, I have uh, two sisters, um, an older sister, and. A younger sister and a couple okay. brothers as well. Child. <laughs> I'm the middle. Chi- I'm the middle child. <laughs> big right. family. And you, so you
0: have a brother as well. Where, I have two brothers. In the, in the two and two, uh, two old, brothers. Oh, big yeah. family.
1: Uh, yeah, two yeah. older brothers, an older sister than me, than my little sister. My little sister's eight years younger than me. So there was, a, you know, for okay. I was I was the baby for a hot second. And then...
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Then you yeah. got the caboose. Yeah. And then I, I became... My brothers are seven and 10 years older than me. So I know what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Growing up as that youngest. And, and uh, you know, what kind of influences do you remember in terms of your parents? You know, were they, you know, keen on you studying, following a career? You know, what were the kind of things that you remember from your early days and growing up? up from mom and dad.
1: Yeah. My parents were adamant about one thing really. And that was that Mm. I go to college. Uh, They didn't really, they had lived kind of, you know, sort of in the South and small, smaller Markets town. So I don't even think they could conceive right. of the career that I have now. Yeah, honestly, yeah. Uh,
0: did they? Did they go to college, both mom and dad? Um, they,
1: they did. And, uh-huh. um, and my father has since passed, but my mother's still alive, and okay. she still doesn't understand what I do for a living. I don't think either one of them understood. <laughs> honestly, um, we'll get
0: into that a little bit better. Maybe she, she'll listen to the podcast. and then she'll Yeah, it. yeah. So, <laughs> I guarantee that <laughs> um, they were
1: really Adam and I go to college, and Good. I think that's was great and yeah. it was important, and it I. Uh, that opportunity is probably what brought me outside of Louisiana to see right. sort of all of the options that were out there. So, I'm really I'm really grateful that they sure. were adamant about that.
0: Yeah. What other kind of early influencers? Were there any coaches, music teachers, teachers at school that, you know, kind of had an influence on you in some of those early years and directional? Uh, uh,
1: yeah. So, I was lucky enough to get into a, a special program in Louisiana. So Louisiana, like many states in the South, is not known for its education
0: system. It's kind of down the list, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's usually
1: schools. second to last. There's only, only, <laughs> only Mississippi usually does worse than Louisiana on education. Uh, but they had developed a special a program. Uh, I hesitate to even call it what it was. but It was called the Gifted Program. Okay, <laughs> I, sure, I think they've, sure. they've gone away from calling programs uh, like that that name. But I tested into it in the fourth grade. And so what that meant is like in fourth and fifth grade, it just meant I went to some enrichment classes like one day a week, which were really fun. But in junior high, there was a dedicated school you could go to um, Mm. for that program. And in high school, there was as well. So in junior high and high school, I was in, for all of my core competency classes, I was in incredibly small class sizes with highly educated instructors, many of whom had PhDs. and. That's very unusual in the any public school system, but certainly in in Louisiana. And
0: really streamed you early on. Yeah, so
1: I I really, in some respects, took it for granted what a rich educational experience that was. But when I got to college and saw how much better prepared Mm -hmm. I was, particularly in critical thinking and creative writing and problem solving, um, I realized how lucky I really had been because it was a free education that was by everything I saw once I got out you know out of out in the world was incredibly incredibly high quality and those instructors really changed my life and i didn't know it at the time
0: so you're a pretty good student i presume even in the gifted stream
1: yeah i mean so there was a time in my life i was a real striver you know straight a student Was i prided myself on it and then uh you know had my father got sick sort of in junior mm. high and it changed our family dynamics quite a bit mm. and and I became a much different kind of student not as not as much of a striver and not as focused on getting good grades but still really into learning and that was kind of a, a shift for me, f- for sure, um, in my younger days. But Did you time take I on got,
0: some additional responsibilities at home? Was that yeah, part of the reason? Yeah,
1: it was, it was just a really... Motivation. It was a really rough time for, for yeah. the family. And Sounds so like school that. became less, um, less core to right. the way I was thinking about the world. Yeah. Or not school. School I loved. I've always loved school. Grades became less... Right core right. to uh, you know never to how walked I, away
0: from learning but, yeah. but striving to be the top in your yeah. class where family matters kind of came first
1: yeah but in yeah. high school I mean it was really important I get a scholarship so you know it was it it became more important in Put high school that, that yeah sure. that I make good grades so that I could get a scholarship because there, there was no way to go to college without a scholarship right. for me.
0: Anything outside of class, any sports, music, theater, debate, you know, class, government, anything like that. I more
1: did it, you know, a ton of theater. And <laughs> did you really? Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and that you lost becomes, your
0: twang somewhere <laughs> along the way, right? Yeah. So that had to be practiced or yeah. or, or not? Well, did you never have the southern accent? I
1: didn't. You know, I didn't have it much to begin with, but my family. didn't does right. have it. So I must have done something
0: to do that. Yeah, I did I'm a, sure theater helped.
1: Yeah, I did a ton of theater. I did a ton of public So spe- public I was in sure. speech and debate yeah. and did yeah. that quite a bit.
0: Right. That's, I think, a really a core thing for business too, isn't it? Huh? Learning how to present and talk to others and being comfortable uh, on your own two feet.
1: Absolutely. I use it all yeah. the time. Yeah.
0: yeah. Awesome. What about entrepreneurial things? Were there things that you did when you were younger? You'd mentioned scholarships. I'm sure that was an important part of getting to college, but was there, you know, pocket money jobs you did while you were growing up, middle school, high school?
1: Uh sure. I wouldn't call them entrepreneurship. <laughs> 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 uh, I did spending all spending
0: money. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, I did all the typical things you do. I did a lot of babysitting. I worked, right. at, you know, a store. I you know, I did all those sort of typical teenager jobs. I mowed lawns. Um, sure. you know, nothing particularly. I didn't like start the Babysitter's Club or anything. Right, (laughs) was Yeah, it was all all very typical, you know, stuff you do for pocket change. Yeah.
0: What about a little bit older, like in high school and college, were there side jobs or, you know, W-2, you know, uh, earning jobs that you did that were, uh, you know, kind of part of your educational uh, program, you know, beyond Um,
1: school? You know— Like they, in high school, I certainly had a few jobs, you Mm -hmm. know, at the mall or whatever. um, Yeah, I wouldn't, uh, and and in college I did, uh, we can get to that in a second. I did a lot of side jobs, a lot of side hustles in college because I had to work my way through it. But uh, I wouldn't say any of them were particularly formative uh, for me, really. And, you know, I think any work environment is Beneficial. And so I'm Well, very, Retail can be I, yeah. tough.
0: I mean, you know, you learn a lot about customer service, right? Because you're very customer safe. Yeah. Did, did you work in retail store? I mean, like apparel stores? Well,
1: or? retail, re- like real retail, I did a little bit later in my yeah. life, but this was yeah. more like I dressed up like a Christmas elf and made, you know, like stockings <laughs> for people, right? Like I, I love it. I would like write their name and glitter on their stocking and hand it over to them. So it was a little, you know,
0: creative. It, it, <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> Fun. Well, you mentioned scholarship. Where did you go to college?
1: I went to Marymount Manhattan College, okay. which is the liberal Fantastic. arts school in, yeah. uh, in Manhattan.
0: Sure. No, yeah. well, and, and why did you choose that?
1: Uh, well, that's funny because you know we, we talked about, so I got a bachelor of fine arts with a focus in theater. So okay. I actually moved to New York when I was 18. I place. had never been there before. Wow. hadn't even visited, but I got a full ride from Marymount. And so I packed, packed my bags and moved to New York and uh, studied theater. For that must four have been years. quite
0: a shift for you, right? Growing up in a relatively small town in Louisiana and your oh, southern yeah. roots. I mean, oh. it
1: was night and day for sure. Yeah. And right. this was, you know, this was in the early 90s. So, New York wow. was still New York. It was pretty gritty. A little rougher, a little rougher <laughs> yeah, than it is today. Yeah, this was, yeah. yeah, David Dinkins was mayor when I moved to sure. New York and it was very different. Than, right. it, than it feels now even though right. I still love it as a city but um, it was yeah. it was gritty it looked like it did in you know the movies from the 70s and the 80s gritty and the,
0: is a good word it was super <laughs> yeah it was gritty yeah. So, um, it, so then? You said you had jobs as well. What kind of jobs were you doing to supplement? Uh, oh, I your, your living there.
1: I did everything. So I did. Yeah. I did the typical stuff. So I was a barista for a while, for sure. Right. I did waitressing and bartending and hostessing. Sure. Um, all of those typical things. I did retail. So I worked. My it was this was my first real retail job. So I worked at like the biggest gap in the world at the time. <laughs> it was on eighty sixth <laughs> and third Avenue in New York okay. City. Upper
0: East was, Side. Yeah, yeah,
1: I was terrible at it. Um, just awful. I I was they had me I couldn't fold to save my life. And so they were like, "Well, let's put her in the front and have her like greet people." So I was greeting people at the front of the store. And the store is shaped like this enormous horseshoe. And I'm sitting at the front like behind this table of like colorful sweaters. And it, my my job is to say, hey, "Welcome to the Gap," right, right? right? And "Have a great day." That's my job. And and maybe to <laughs> attempt to fold sweaters. And one day you, this like group of like little hooligans came in, this little 12-year-old group of hooligans. There was like five or six of them. (sighs) And they walked in, they kind of ran into the store. And I was like, hi, welcome to the cap. And then they ran the... The perimeter of the horseshoe and just shoplifted everything oh they could get gosh. their hands on, and then this ran out. Stuff. And I, oh I was gosh. like, "Thanks oh for no. coming." <laughs> 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 Hope you have a great day because you're not you're not supposed to engage, right? We had right. a security guard and he's trying to do his thing, but I greeted him and I said goodbye to him <laughs> the whole nine yards. <laughs> that was it was short lived.
0: I my love cor- it. My career at the it. Gap
1: was short lived. So I did that, I, um, and primarily. You know, was working as a waitress and, and bartender, sort of in the heart right. of things. But then on the weekends, I started doing real estate, uh, which was mm. a friend of a friend had said, oh, oh hey, I, I I'm an on-site agent at these fancy buildings. Do you want to do that? It pays really well. And I was like, sure. So I picked up an extra gig on Saturdays and Sundays, and I would go to these giant luxury buildings and sit in sort of the rental office mm-hmm. and real estate agents would come in and I would give them the keys and then they would go do okay. the tour. And right, then occasionally right. we'd get you people You were the
0: lockbox. Off- I was the
1: lockbox, <laughs> but occasionally we would get people who didn't have an agent with them who just okay. wanted to. And so then I would walk them look. through the space. <laughs> it was all kind of strange. And then there was, so there those big luxury buildings and then there was these, f- a few townhouses that were also just Really, really high, high end. So, right. you know, get the occasional celebrity or newscaster or whatever looking at these properties, and I show them through, and it did pay pay really well. And then, because I had done that one summer, I worked at the main office for this uh-huh. company, who I will not name because they're still around, um, and I have lots of disparaging things to say about them. But <laughs> they, <laughs> I worked at their main office and it was kind of their sort of a. a catch-all job, basically, sure. where um, they would sort of move me around, and I'd work with the architects one minute, and then I'd answer, you know, phones at reception the next minute. And it was... Uh, an incredibly sexist environment. And yeah, I was, I got in lots of trouble there for, for sassing, (laughs) sassing back the rule, you know, like (laughs) women were supposed to wear pantyhose still, you know, it's like 90 degrees out in New York city. and Uh, Women were required to wear pantyhose. Um, I was required to address any of the men in the company by Mr. So-and-so. Um, but they were not, yeah, it was, it was rough. The owner and his sons of, of this company, um, I mean, Which he was, will remain
0: nameless.
1: Who, who will remain nameless. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, this guy was a billionaire, but it's not the billionaire you're thinking. That's not why this okay, person is right, remaining nameless. It is not the person you're thinking of. But um, it's certainly a person in that circle. And he yes. was much older. And you weren't allowed to look him in the eye or address him oh directly because they were scared that he or his sons were going to be kidnapped. And so, you oh just had all these, these rules. Wow. And I would get called into HR. And, you know, one time I got called in for the pantyhose thing. Then I got called in because... Uh, an architect Uh, uh, referred to me by my first name. So I referred to him by his first name and I got in trouble for that. And then I got- This
0: is the 90s? Yeah,
1: this is the 90s. And then I got called in for reading the newspaper at my lunch hour. And she was like, well, I was like, it's my lunch hour. And she's like, "Yeah, yeah, but people can see you. And so it looks like you're reading your newspaper on the job. And I was like, Oh my god. It's my lunch hour. So then the wow. last time I got called in, she said, Well, I'm gonna put you in a different department. <laughs> She's like, I'm gonna move you away from the architects and reception because you're just, you know, too many troubles, too many problems. <laughs> and she put me in the legal department. So oh I worked gosh. in yeah. I worked in the legal department of this company. Sounds and, like
0: out of the frying pan into the fire. Yeah, to me. right. All the lawyers,
1: <laughs> except for this one guy, who was like also an assistant, who was helping, and he was a, he was actually a stand-up comedian. Oh goodness! And so we had a, a ton of fun, but what our, we were responsible for this is I just want this is like probably not unique. So just g- let this sink in. Right. We had to research the tenants who had died before their leases were up so that we could file suit against their estate oh to get gosh. the rent yeah Man. let let that sink in for a second oh. Goodness, goodness. It was disgusting. <laughs> wow,
0: I was going to say that—that that sounds yeah. like it was your last apartment. It,
1: there, was, right? it was. I, I was <laughs> there for about out. three weeks, and oh, the goodness. summer was coming to an end, and I was kind of like, "I shall wash my hands of this." Oh <laughs> my goodness,
0: <laughs> time to move on. Well, I am done. Getting back to to Marymount Manhattan, so yeah. so it sounds like you're pursuing a career in fine arts. Did you want to go on the stage? You know, you were involved in in theater. What was your initial intent? Was going to college?
1: <clears> yeah, I I studied playwriting, directing and and it's acting. Cool. And and actually did quite a bit of stand-up comedy while I was there. And I loved it. You all. got a lot of
0: material for it.
1: I've got a lot of material. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I think I did I a whole it. show once, a whole like 10 minute bit on waitressing. Uh because yeah, it's just crazy waitressing yep. in New York City. But I studied, you know, all of those things and was really like living the creative life mm. and loving it. Um, and grew a ton as a human being, and was on stage in a bunch of shows with just mass amounts of people. That's the funny thing. Like when I public speak now, people are like, "Oh, do you get nervous?" And i like, "Oh, you, I always get a little <laughs> nervous, but it's, it's usually for like hundreds of people." But I've been right, on stage right. with like ten thousand people before, yeah, and so right. it's it's a very different feeling. Um, sure. And I, I I loved aspects of it for mm. sure, but by my senior year, I remember sort of feeling like. I, I don't know about. Mm. I don't know that I want this as much as other people want it. I had done an internship at a small theater um, okay. and was working with in Manhattan or in or Manhattan, nearby. yeah, mm-hmm. and was working mm-hmm. with a couple really smart folks there. And they were, I don't know. I remember just going to lunch with them one day and them just saying like, "I don't, I don't see you doing this. Mm. Like, is this really what you want?" And I was kind mm. of like, "That's a good question. I didn't yeah. know." I didn't know what I wanted. You know, when you it grow up like in It sounds like they were good
0: friends. Huh? They were. Yeah. The, yeah. The, when
1: you grow up in a place like Louisiana, it's not that it's like, it, it, it's a great place to grow up, but you don't sure. always, and this was pre-internet, so you don't you don't really know what the options are out there, right? right? So you tend to, I think people tend to gravitate to to very specific career. Like, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a fireman. I'm going to be a ballerina, right? right? Because you don't know that there's all this nuance in between because you're Mm. not in a big city. And so, and again, this was before the internet existed. I think that's probably improved quite a bit now because of the internet. I didn't know what my options were. And I knew I was really good at theater. So I was like, well, that's what I'll do. And by my senior year, I kind of realized that's not, that's mm. really not what I'm going to do. And I didn't know what the answer to that
0: was. So what was the first job, first full-time job you took outside of college? Uh,
1: well, so I did... Um, I did a bit of, uh, you know, soul searching, mm-hmm. aka partying after I graduated, <laughs>
0: because I've never heard it described that way, but yeah. I'll take it. <laughs>
1: um, well, I was like, I was on scholarships. So I had to have a really high GPA the whole time I was there, sure. and I was working the whole time, so I didn't do much yeah. of that. You know, I it was finished, time. It was time. <laughs> I finished eight eight semesters, you know, and so you. I regrouped and kind of you know, partied like you do. And then I did that for about a year and was like, what am I going to do with my life? Right. And decided to go to graduate school. Okay. And so, I studied journalism in graduate school.
0: Okay. Where did you do that?
1: At the University of Montana.
0: Oh, wow. Big change. I know. I'm
1: kind of a wanderer. I did a lot of writing uh, towards my BFA. So, I was like, well, I did really always love writing. Maybe um, I could pursue journalism and at the time I really wasn't thinking short form journalism it was just like much less beat reporting much more long form journalism sure so i had an uncle a beloved uncle who was a mathematics professor at mm. the university of montana wow. and he kind of reached out and was like you know they have a a really Great journalism program here, and the city's really cool and small and fun. Is it
0: Bozeman or Missoula? Where, it's in Missoula. In Missoula, oh, Missoula is a great town. Yeah,
1: yeah it's a terrific yeah. town. So I yeah. did the same thing I'd done in college. I'd never visited, yeah. and I I ended up getting in, which was I didn't apply anywhere else. I did. I, I just was like, well, if I get in, Let's I'll give go. Us a shot.
0: Yeah, and I right. got in,
1: and so I went and had a phenomenal, fun and interesting experience doing yeah. that. For a couple of years, and then right. I got my first real job. Okay, and, um, and what so was that? That was working at a magazine in New okay. York.
0: That's so back went, to New York.
1: Okay, I went yeah. back to New York and worked at a magazine uh, for a couple of years. And right. did you have any the,
0: leadership responsibilities early on? You know, do you remember when you started managing people, or was that more of an individual contributor role?
1: Uh, it, I mean. It was assistant to the managing editor and the editor in chief, mm-hmm. and so oh, wow. I was assisting. You know the two people who were getting
0: things, we're really running the show, who were really yeah.
1: running the show. So yeah. with my with assisting the managing editor, that was there was a vast amount of learning experience and responsibility in keeping her. You know, right. um, on track she was doing so much, and she was hugely influential on me. She was a, mm. just an absolute. Uh, crazy hard worker and really great at her job and really strong woman and so a fantastic boss and good influence mm. on me as far as leadership you know the closest thing i got to leadership in that role was um leading and sort of running the intern program there
0: okay yeah and so working
1: right. with the young gals cuz it was always it was always young women who would come in to work at that at that magazine and i actually think about that quite a bit that it was it was actually a really good experience i wasn't that far from where they were really you know right. but it, f- it felt like worlds some of the interns were actually in high school uh, wow. yeah so that was really interesting and and fun experience but more than anything working working for the managing editor and the editor in chief was absolutely formative in who yeah. i am as a person and i yeah, don't even think i realized until later on how how much those that, that opportunity really affected me and what how were, much I learned from it. Yeah.
0: What were some of the best lessons you learned from working for those folks?
1: Well, I would say a big lesson is that there, in a lot of companies, startups, magazines, anything, there's a sort of visionary, right? There's a person mm-hmm. who is holding the heart and soul mm. of what that company or that mission is supposed to be. But yeah. those people yeah. are very rarely the kind of people who know how to operationalize that, know how to get Mm. that done on the ground. Right. You almost always need that person. Right hand, left hand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. and magazines are really good about that because every magazine has typically editor-in-chief and a managing editor and... Right. Or deputy editor. They call it different things at different magazines, but that role is so key. And... Mm. It's very thankless, right? The editor-in-chief gets all the glory. <laughs> they get the clothing mm-hmm. allowance and the car service right. and all of the fancy parties and all of the fancy presents. And then there's this workhorse behind the scenes who's making sure, sure that things get done. And go. All the eyes are
0: dotted and T's are crossed. Essentially, right. you say that, and that's very common in the entertainment industry as well. I think you know my background. I was with Disney for about 10 years in the 90s, and, you know, Michael Eisner was, of course, the figurehead, but very few people knew that Frank Wells was his president chief operating officer, 10 years his senior, and he was kind of like the Roy and Walt Disney. You know, they were the two guys that kind of made things happen. You know, Michael or, you know, Walt in the early days was the front man and the one that everyone was recognized, but it was Roy Disney who kept the company from going bankrupt. And Frank Wells, who was the guy who kept Mike, you know, on, sh- on, on track with regards to doing things. And when Frank tragically died, you know, the company kind of fell apart. Yeah. And, you know, so often that happens. You know, it's interesting you, you identify that. Do you have that today? In other words, do you, are you the visionary and do you have a good right-hand person or how do you run your shop?
1: It's a good question. I I think I'm actually the right-hand person. I think our founder and okay, owner right. is, you know, he okay. was here from the beginning and I think had a really clear picture not necessarily what substantial would do, but right. of who substantial would be. He had a really right. um clear cool. idea of the kind of employment environment he wanted to create and I think he's maintained that. And I am much more the person who is about what we're going to do and operationally how vision. right, how yeah. we're going to be and who we how we evolve and, and all of those things. But his cool. his vision's still really important. And you know, I think because I got the in that opportunity I got to assist both of those people. I got a really inside look into the the Sort of pros and cons, awesome. of, of yeah. both of well, those roles, like. but yeah, they they're, right. they're they're stronger together. I can tell you that.
0: Sure. When did you start managing people? Was it at that company, or was it when you joined Substantial, or um, somewhere else along the way?
1: No, no, before I joined Substantial, but I wouldn't call what I did with the interns, you know, management. So it was sure. it was a ways after that. So I, right. you know, pivoted my career again. I was no longer working for magazines. I had moved on to working in uh, digital agencies and started leading teams of people to to build on
0: the account management side on the the account and and
1: product and project management side so i did that for many many years i've been in client services for it's like 20 years now so for you know most of that time i was leading a team of people sort of cross-discipline team of people to build digital experiences or digital assets um, and then eventually digital products so there was always that Um, element. And then I started actually actively having a team of direct reports about, I don't know, 12 years ago.
0: Okay. Okay, cool. And um, with regards to kind of some of those early management experiences, you know, what were some of the, I always hate to ask this, and again, you don't need to mention names, some of the worst lessons that you've learned maybe from previous bosses, you know, things that you saw and you said, you know, I'm never going to do that (laughs) if I ever have to run an operation or a company.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I would say the biggest th- thing that I witnessed was just a, a transactional relationship, you know, a, a non-present transactional relationship. And that's sort of soul-sucking for both parties. Um, I I think it happens unless there's bad intentions at heart. and I think generally sure. there's not bad intentions. It usually happens because of a lack of time, maybe too many direct reports, or a lack of uh, effort to sort of bridge... Uh, to get to know somebody and so you end up not knowing them and then you get into your one-on-ones or whatever interaction you have and it's just very shallow and you can't really get to the heart of things because there's not any trust built and so I had a lot of that flavor Um, and really remembered that when I started having direct reports and good
0: examples in their badness (laughs) yeah (laughs) right yeah Yeah, I mean if you're
1: going to manage somebody they you have to prioritize the time to be present and sort of get to know them
0: Got it. Very good. All right. Now, this is a section for your mom, okay? Okay. <laughs> now, I know you have a five-year-old daughter. Treat me as if I was your five-year-old son, and you had to explain to me what you do. What would you say?
1: Uh, I, <laughs> I would say that, well, i tell you what I told my five-year-old daughter. I, I told her when I became CEO, I came home and said, mommy's the boss now. <laughs> And, she's, ah, right. and she said what she do you got mean? that she's like what do you mean and i was like well mommy's the boss i'm the i'm the boss of the whole company i'm the boss <laughs> and she just looked really skeptical and then took a, a beat and then said like well you're not the boss of me
0: <laughs> that was, that's a good five-year-old yeah, response that was
1: that, that ended any sort of I moment of her being impressed by me, by me being the boss but um, you know i we talked about it since then and I, I mostly stay pretty high level because she doesn't really understand what my company does, so it's hard to sure. explain to her what I do. But you know, it's it's about running things and it's about meeting with people, which I tell her quite a bit. I'm at mommy's in a lot of meetings. Right, it's about right. going out to the community and speaking because I go out in the community a fair bit and and you know participate in speaking engagements. Sure. And so there's sort of this tactical aspect that I will talk to her about. And we play a game at dinner time. You know, it's like what did what did you do today and what did you love about mm. it? What did you hate about it what made right. made you laugh and so top she top five top three yeah, yeah exactly yeah, right. exactly so we do a fair bit of that but do, does she understand like what substantial does no and she's not really in in you know deeply into technology yet so she doesn't okay. quite get
0: that all right well explain to five-year-old brand what does yeah. substantial do
1: <laughs> so that's a that's a great ca- question so substantial <laughs> is at its core a product creation studio mm we do that mostly in a client services model so we are product developers designers mm-hmm. strategists who sell innovation as a service right so we okay. will go in for our clients some are startups some are enterprise and Create their products for them. So they might have a vision or a business model, but they don't have the resources, the team, or the wherewithal to do that themselves, and they need help. And we are Mm. that help. We are sort of their expert guide in getting their product to market. And we specialize in consumer apps. We've done quite a bit in sort of Edutech and FinTech. You know, so all, tech. all
0: technology products, yeah, and services for the yeah. Most part. So okay. if
1: you're if you have a business problem and you think that it could be solved with a digital product, that's that's our space, right? That's a good that's, place to start.
0: Awesome. Yeah, awesome. So you kind of come in as. Uh, I am maybe you know, making an 80s or 90s analogy dating myself, but, you know, I remember working with companies when I was a proctor at Disney when we would need help in naming a product, right? We'd bring in the consultants that would help us, you know, kind of take a look at it and figure out what, you know, to name it or what, how to do the positioning. Is that kind of similar to that or do you actually do the, the, the you know, the physical product development for them as well?
1: We do the physical product wow. developments. We do wow. soup to nuts. That's not to say right. that people don't use us for just pieces of it, but sure. in general, we are really solving this need that someone has to get something to market and not having either any resources to do that or enough resources to oh. do that. So they might have budget, but no people. It's an incredibly competitive market out there yeah. for, for great talent. Do in this they space. normally have
0: some IP then or some technology that? you know, brings them to you and say, hey, we need some help with this? Or? Yeah,
1: sometimes okay. they do. Sometimes, right. I mean, sometimes literally they're coming to us with a deck or an idea. Right. It really depends on where they sit and their stage of business. Sometimes we work with enterprises, obviously they're much more sophisticated. They have usually done the business case and the business model. They probably even have some use cases. They've worked this out, right? Or they wouldn't have been able to secure enough resources to do it and approval, right? So when we work with enterprises, it's usually... Very buttoned up on the sort of business side, success metrics, objective side, but they very often don't know how to build a product in a more modern practice, or sort of more yeah. modern, agile uh, practice. And so that's what they're looking for when they come to us. Cool.
0: So you kind of got a group of engineers and, and yeah, sales and marketing her. folks, and you kind of come in and come up alongside them and understand their core values and what they have and and then really do that development for them.
1: Exactly. we do the design yeah. the product design and the, so we have a really yeah. integrated team approach here. so our designers and developers work together with our uh, awesome. what we call engagement managers and and our clients are really involved in that process, which is also a little atypical from the di- this sort of traditional digital agency model. So our clients sometimes they co-locate with us, but right. at a minimum they're sort of daily involved with wow. the team for very sort of quick feedback and quick decision making.
0: yeah. And the, so the teams are dedicated to those clients, right? That they tend right. to just work on, yeah, yeah, yes. awesome. And and you didn't come in as CEO, as I recall in our conversation a couple of weeks back. You kind of came in and climbed through the ranks. When you joined, did you think you might be leading things one day? Oh no, <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> no.
0: It's amazing how that happens sometimes.
1: Yeah, so. no, I no. didn't think that. I didn't yeah. think that even two years ago. Uh, I right. came in as an engagement manager, which is our client services sort of right. core primary point of contact. And I came in really to help substantial build client services as a capability. They had hired one other engagement manager before me. They um, had kind of a director level guy who was more focused on business development, but was also kind of trying to build out like what client services would look like. Mm. Um, And then we very quickly built up a team um, and we were all very different. And so we all sort of established like what what it felt like and looked like for client services uh, substantial, Mm. you know, with each of us. And I did that for a few years and then I joined the executive team uh, uh, and then started getting much more heavily involved in business development and did that for a year and then really sort of took took charge of of client services and business development. And that was really once I started that, you know, that was about a year and a half before I became CEO. That's really when I started envisioning like, okay, I think I could actually (laughs) take the helm.
0: Awesome. And, and you'd mentioned an owner, uh, Visionary. Uh, was that person in that CEO role prior to you? Or had there been other, you know, professional management people that had kind of run the show prior to you coming to this? He
1: department? was not the CEO right before me. He had okay. been CEO of the company for the first, God, uh, you know, probably, yeah, yeah, half a decade. Another founder right. was CEO. Um, okay. And I'd been working with him for, you know, since I had walked in the door. So he and I knew each other really well and we were close. Um, yeah. So, but he'd been around a long time and was, I think, ready for a break. And and so that was also, you know, part of that journey As I, I sort of knew that he was, his tenure was coming to an end because he right. and I had talked really, you know, right. clearly about that.
0: Yeah, cool. Carrie, tell us a little bit about your thoughts on building a company culture, for particularly when, you know, you've come in and joined the ranks and kind of came up through the organization. Um, and then now in the CEO role, you know, CEO has a, a pretty big impact in the culture. So talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, well, Substantial has... I think its culture is one of its sort of strongest uh, mm. points, and I, I do think that's that's why I sort of mentioned you know our owner founder and the impact he's had, because I think the culture yeah. was really what he was trying to build when he when he first started the company, and I think there's a big part of that that has remained, which is right. which is really good. So we have.
0: Uh, and the, the core services have been pretty much the same during
1: Yeah. The, uh, I mean they our the offering yeah, yeah. has evolved and expanded a little bit. But right. yeah, the core, the core services, we are product builders and creators. Yes, that's yeah. that's been the same. And we we have pretty low turnover. So we've had a lot of people, you know, we're a 12-year-old company. We have a lot of yeah. people who've been here, you know, five years and up is nice. the majority of the company. So I both participated in that culture as, as sure. you know, a person coming in. I sort of, I was like the 26th employee. So I saw wow. substantial when it was smaller. How many employees now? We were about 45 oh, now. Cool. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've seen us try to grow really fast and I've seen what that did to our culture. Mm. And that was a sort of a rough period for us when we were, cause we got up to about 75 at one point mm. and had a much bigger San Francisco presence and, um, so I saw sort of the implications of that of that of that growing fast and and then we kind of scaled down and I saw the implications of that. so for me the the culture that I want to create um, and i I think this is what's appealing to people and the reason why many people stay is that I want to build a place that feels um, accepting of who mm. each individual person is, what, mm. what they bring, their strengths, their their capabilities, their Potential for growth, their families, their lives, their hobbies, their passions. Mm. We're a, a group of product builders that believe really strongly in having our lives too and supporting sure. that. We're a really flexible atmosphere, um, we're a somewhat distributed atmosphere. And so we do all of those things, and I believe in all of those things so that people can bring their whole selves to work. I feel right. very new agey saying all these things, but. Well,
0: you need a place where creativity can flourish, right? Yeah. I mean, that's and, important. Yeah.
1: And client services is really hard. It's very mm. high stress, right? There's sure. a constraint put on you that is. You're it feels, working
0: with very different cultures yes. from one day to the next.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so it's really important that people feel like the culture that they're in. Mm cares about them, that right. supports right. them, cool. and and is, is sort of as inclusive as we can have yeah. it be.
0: I like that. Well, you know, what what do you look for, Carrie, when you're making bets on the people you invest in?
1: I am looking for a person who has a point of view, mm. who is solution-minded, right? Not a person who really thrives in just diagnosing a problem, but a person who thrives in in Figuring out solutions, trying solutions, and being okay right. when they don't work out. Right, a person who can survive the kind of moment when the thing you thought was going to work perfectly <clears> doesn't work <throat> perfectly, and now you've got to think of something else. Yeah, and you can see you can see that moment, in, in people that some people are able to rise to that, and some people yeah. really it, it kind of crushes them. And, and how so do really, you
0: interview for that?
1: You can't really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's tough.
0: It, you really. <laughs> you know, I do that for a living. So I was like, yeah. wow, that would be a hard thing to get to. Do you use assessments or yeah. other types of things to help you with that?
1: We we definitely put people in different, like we're this isn't like a, a a nine hour Google interview or anything. We've got like <laughs> math problems to do, but depending on the discipline, you know, like we certainly. We, request and work through code samples for our engineers and design portfolios for our designers for our uh, product management role you know we have people bring in product problems so there's definitely a uh, aspect in our interview process that mm. is like bring us in how you solve problems right. when you have your own space to do so rather yeah. than testing yeah. solid
0: examples exactly
1: yeah. right yeah. so because it, yeah. once you start testing people in the moment you get you get, in some respects, their nervousness, right? right. And so right. it can skew things. So we give people a chance to kind of bring in their best selves. Mm. Mm. And then we also do a bit of sort of what we call a collaborative session, which I I still think is not a perfect um, solution mm. to this problem, but that's more of the on the spot. Like, how do you handle uh, collaborating? How do you handle working mm. with people? Are you a question asker? Like, do you, and sure. do you ask the questions that are most important? And that's more than anything what i'm looking for right uh, and right. you know i I'm still very involved in the interview loops I was going to ask
0: you, yeah. Do you, I mean, with 50 people, do you inv- interview everyone that comes Not in the Not
1: everyone, but yeah. certainly the, most of the senior level people sure. I do, anyone in client services or business right. development I do. And what I'm looking for are good questions. And, mm. you know, it's always a red flag for me when I get to someone and I'm like, do you have any questions for me? You've got this moment with the CEO <laughs> of a company and I, you'd be, you'd be, I'm sure you wouldn't be surprised, oh. but people would be surprised how many people don't have questions.
0: It's so crazy. You know, I actually tell people. I said, listen, here's one thing you have to t- make sure you do. Take a piece of paper, fold it one back, and write down at least seven or eight questions <laughs> with space in between so when you get to that moment in the interview, you can ask those questions. And, you know, it, it just amazes me sometimes. People just say, oh, no, I'm good. You know, and you think, okay, <laughs> here's your opportunity.
1: Yeah. So um, I'm I'm always looking in those interactions for good questions, um, for the expression A clear point of view, even if I don't agree with that point of view, but their ability to communicate a clear point of view, because in some respects, that's what consulting is, right? That's what we're getting paid for. We think we're getting paid for design artifacts and code. We're getting paid for a point of view and and to really help our clients through uh, a, a problem that they need guide through and sure. advice through. And so it, being able to articulate a clear point of view, I think, is, is super important.
0: Well, those camp management skills are important too, right? I mean, being able to deal with the multifaceted customer landscape and, you know, dealing with people at the other side of the table. Some customers are a little harder and difficult to deal with than others. How do you kind of interview and screen for that?
1: That's a lot of what we get through the sort of bring in your best self problem, you know, sort of session, but also a little bit of the the collaboration session. And the reason why I don't think that's a, it's really a perfect way of doing this is that it's still kind of, role-playing and kind of proxy. Right. So right. it's never going to feel exactly real, but it's a little bit about the nuance of the constraints that come up and how you deal mm-hmm. with the friction. And there's a lot of sort of very normal friction in client services between, uh, you know, what might be the most ideal direction something's going to take and the, the direction it needs to take for business reasons, right? right. There's friction with that right. quite a yeah, bit. No, yeah, exactly.
0: I know, exactly. One of our clients in the Bay Area is a commerce facilitator, right? So they stand behind the scenes of many of the large companies and handle all of their e-commerce, and so they really have to have three very sometimes diverse skill sets: being able to know e-commerce well, being able to a, be a good digital social marketer, but also have those client management skills. And you know, and it's hard to click all those boxes, you know, because so often many new and you know newly minted you know folks out of school, et cetera, they tend to much more specialize in in one or, or two, maybe at most, of those areas. And you know, getting that client you know uh, service orientation combined with the other two can be a real challenge. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Carrie Jenkins, you've been very, very generous with your time. Thank you so much. And we always like to ask one last question, and, and that's you know, what kind of career and life advice would you give someone who's, you know, got their eyes on their own corner office someday?
1: Yeah, uh, two pieces. One I kind of already said, which is hone your point of view and, and mm. be really clear about that. And whatever your job is, whether you want to be in leadership or not, you know you are more than likely whatever your job is being paid in some respects for your point of view and so yeah. be clear about it and be and mm. and the, and then you, it'll be valued i can tell you that right. and then the other the other thing i would say is that careers take a really you know can take a really interesting path that is unexpe- <laughs> unexpected yours is a good
0: example <laughs> right and that
1: can be both positive and negative sure. um but i think your mindset about it uh it, your open-mindedness to the different places your career could go is really the the largest predictor of whether or not that career path is going to feel successful to you, right. more so than titles or LinkedIn or anything like that. Mm. So be open to it. Um, you know, we we've been given a lot of advice about following our passions, and I could go on and on about why that mm. advice I think fails us a lot of times. But f- follow what you're good at and work really hard and. And I, that, to me, is how you build a career.
0: Carrie Jenkins, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brandt, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroy.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.